time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Welcome, everybody. It's Monday, September 27th, 2021. So glad to have you listening in on this podcast. Again, this podcast is created by Mortgage Professionals. It is for Mortgage Professionals. We're so grateful to have you as our listener. We are committed to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. And we're excited about this podcast as we are each and every one of them. Got a lot of great information that is coming up. And we have in our special Hot Topic segment today, Rick Toma will be joining us, Chief Operating Officer at The Money Source. The other TMS is out there. We love teasing each other about that. Which one's first? Which one's out there? But it's a TMS, as they're commonly referred to as we get confused because Transformational Mortgage Solutions and the Money Source both operate with TMS. But we're just so honored to have Rick sharing with us some things. We're talking about compliance management systems, which is obviously one of Alice's favorite topics. And then we've also joining on the microphone again this week. So excited to have him back is Jack Nunnery, recently retired from Texas Capital Bank and now out there in the world giving back. And so we're thrilled to have him joining us on the microphone today as well. So stay tuned for the Hot Topic segment with Rick Toma, Chief Operating Officer of the Money Source, and talking about some really important stuff, what's going on. Going to go over in the area of servicing too. So those of you who have servicing portfolios looking at that, we're also going to branch into some other areas. But we're so thrilled to be a part of the Industry Syndicate. We have uh, our podcast featured on the Industry Syndicate. And we are excited to have you check out all the podcasts for one of the first podcasts in the industry. That's and Dave Savage, Mortgage Coach. So we're thrilled to have you here. So be a part of them. I also want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, as well as Nastra's Fusion Mortgage Bot Solution, which is a great solution. It helps create a personalized path to the mortgage process. Check out what they're doing over there. Some new releases on their technology. Be sure to check them out. I had a great conference call with them this last week. A lot of exciting things going on there at Finastra. Check out our website, look at on lending and as the sponsorship, as well as check out some of the news releases on their website. Also, a special thank you to Lenders One. Great to have them as a sponsor, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative. Both of these co-ops do a great job of helping you get up close and personal with other vendors and lenders of your size. I enjoy about this, the collaborative nature of both of these co-ops and how they support their members in that. Also, Community Mortgage Lenders of America, they do a great job of having our voice, especially independent mortgage bankers' voice heard on the Hill, as well as Incelerate. Josh Friend has a great technology, leading edge technology and mortgage expertise and pre-designed campaigns that come together to enhance the power in engagement. You got to pay attention to what webinar that he just did last week. Very, very good. Also, Knowledge Coop, Ken Perry has a great learning management system as well as Mobility MMI, as well as Modex. These two companies, Mobility MMI and Modex, have a great technology as far as how to recruit right people into your company and also get optics of what's going on in the real estate side of the business, which realtors are really doing the volume and where should you be focusing your efforts. Then finally, our newest sponsor, SnapDoc. So great to have them as a sponsor. 
Amy Moses and the team have some exciting things going on. We had the interview just recently, and check out that interview that we had with Snap Docs. And sure to check them out at the conference as well. Finally, I want to say a special thank you to Rob, Les, Alan, and Alice and Matt for their contributions each week to our podcast. We normally be to get over to Rob Van Raphorse. Unfortunately, Rob was unable to get a report into us, but we do want to encourage you to sign up for the MBA annual conference in San Diego. We're going to be there and encourage you to be there as well. Also, and call your attention to the Mortgage Action Alliance. And make sure you get that app downloaded on your phone so that you can have your voice heard and echo your voice and team up with what the NBA is advocating on the Hill. So get the Mortgage Action Alliance, also commonly known as the MAW, M-A-A app. And you can find it on your smartphone. Let's get over to Les Parker with this week's TM Spotlight and a macro view of the markets. Les, what you have for us today. TM Spotlight Soundbite is brought to you by Power Seller, making hedging easy. Bulls never knew how fast the end could be. Tell Trends Flip to stay bare. Please go all the way. Last week, investors exiting China and the persistent energy shortages in the EU lifted U.S. stocks. But the price hikes due to shortages dragged on the U.S. and EU debt markets. Light to liquidity helped bonds rally Thursday. Then the reality of the major central banks taking the punch bowl away reversed the market hard. The bond sell-off indicates optimism about the future of economic stability without massive liquidity. Did the bond bulls think the Fed would hold them close and never let them go? These views are my own. Learn how to let go at tmspotlight.com. Good job, Les Parker and Gary Kentrabone, who team up on that segment. Appreciate that. Good information, Les. Pulling away the punch bowl, that's a good way to put it. Anyway, be sure to sign up for Les's uh, newsletter. You can do so at tmspotlight.com. If you put power for Empower, for the um, power sellers. Matt, I'm so excited to move over to you. I Good to have you with us back, Graham. Missed you last week, but glad hey, good to be with you live. Good to have yeah, you. so where are we? I think we're a lot higher in rate, right? Yeah. Are you going to blame me again this time, though? Yeah, we always blame you, Matt. Got to have someone. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll no, accept yeah, the blame. Yeah, we kind of, in a way, sort of saw this coming. We knew mm. that we were going to have a break of the consolidation pattern that had been forming in bonds. That's just a series of higher lows and lower highs that has been going on for about two months. And the Fed meeting was well positioned at the apex of that consolidation. And we thought that would be the source of inspiration for a breakout. We got a breakout. It was Fed week. So should we blame the Fed? The surprising answer is maybe, sort of. (laughs) It's (laughs) a very, very interesting three days, starting with Wednesday of last week being the Fed. Before that, we had some economic data Residential construction was a little bit stronger than expected. Existing home sales right in line with expectations. And then on Friday, new home sales ended up being a little stronger than expected. So solid housing market data there. But the focus was certainly on the Fed. And the Fed definitely delivered, but perhaps with a little bit of a delayed reaction. So why do we say the market sort of reacted to the Fed? The main reason is because if you look at the actual trading on Wednesday afternoon itself after the Fed announcement, there was not any huge movement. So big move last week, but really none of it happened on Fed Day. Part of the reason is timing, because the Fed doesn't come out until 2 p.m., and then Powell doesn't start talking until 2.30. But that really hasn't stopped the market from reacting to the Fed on Fed Day in the past. 
So what else could be going on? What did they say? Let's talk about what they said. If you haven't caught it already, of course, they left rates unchanged because they're not going to be hiking those for quite a while. We're dealing with tapering and bond purchases for now. But they did shift the verbiage of the announcement in such a way that foreshadowed tapering rather overtly, mm -hmm. saying, quote, if progress continues broadly as expected, the committee judges that a moderation in the pace of asset purchases may soon be warranted. So that's the first time they've had that phrase in there since COVID and since before COVID for that matter. But yep. it's our first overt indication that tapering is on the way. It's consistent with other Fed speeches. At the same time as the announcement came out, the dot plot also came out in the Fed summary of economic projections. And that showed that the median Fed member was seeing higher rates across the board, not insanely higher, but in moving in that direction, as if to say, no, we're not really worried about the Delta variant and COVID cases derailing the recovery or our intent to hike rates in the future. Despite all that, markets didn't budge at 2 p.m., really yeah, a little amazing. bit of back and forth movement. Yeah, it was amazing. And then Powell started talking, and he's obviously not watching markets as he's speaking, but mm -hmm. it almost was like he was and really wanted to take the opportunity while bonds were super flat to lay it all out. And near the end of the press conference, he ended up saying something to the effect of, yeah, no, we are pretty much on track to taper in November, and it would take a really bad jobs report to talk us out of it. And ultimately said, all we really need is a decent jobs report at the beginning of next month for us to announce tapering in November. It sounds like it's a little bit sensational, but really it's in line with what various Fed speeches have been moving toward. And I think it's in line with what the market was expecting coming into the Fed day. And even after that, there really wasn't a ton of movement in the bond market. And bonds ultimately closed stronger at the best levels of the day by the time they hit the 5 p.m. close. So pretty remarkable that the Fed basically says, yeah, we're tapering at the next meeting and bonds don't budge and maybe gain a little bit of ground. Following morning was no, when things bond. really went you nowhere. And yep. this was one of those market movements where you have traders and analysts and armchair quarterbacks, everybody and their brothers and sisters trying to come up with the reason that the Fed is the easy scapegoat, but it's definitely not that simple. There was a laundry list of potential market movers being thrown around by smart, smart people. And just give you a taste of some of those. Number one would be the stock market interaction with bonds over the course of the week, because we came into that week with bonds much stronger, thanks to stocks just tanking severely. And that was that Evergrande stuff previous Monday morning. And before that, bonds were selling off rather aggressively heading into the end of the previous week. So we could look at it in the sense of stocks selling off so much that it sort of made the bond market stop and consider, oh, well, we have this safe haven buying right now, so we're going to chill for a little bit and then wait to see what's going on after the Fed. And then Thursday morning, there was some overnight news, some traction with the Evergrande thing, and their bondholders were supposed to get paid later on Thursday. And stocks were bouncing. They were being resilient. They weren't really freaking out about what the Fed had to say either. So now the bond market sort of just moved back in line with the trend that was in place before the uh, Evergrande drama hit. And in that sense, the move wasn't that big. It was just sort of a continuation of the move that was already in play, potential X factor that's not immediately apparent. And then there was chatter from European Central Bank officials. There was a hawkish Bank of England announcement, and uh, there was some indication that foreign investors were pricing in the Fed's updated dot plot, and the market was just sort of trading all of this out. All of that led to significant weakness in the European bond market overnight, and as we know, we take 
a solid amount of guidance from what Europe is doing overnight. German boom yields were at their highest since early July, and that pushed treasuries higher and higher until the morning hours when 10-year yields broke 1.4. That was a big technical trigger. They hit a couple technical triggers in that zone, uh, 1.381 and then uh, 1.4. And there was a snowball sell-off. People sort of in that mood where, gosh, everybody around me is selling bonds so quick. I'm just going to sell first and ask questions later. By the end of the day, we were significantly higher and uh, 10-year yields ultimately made it as high as 1.437. That's a big move. 1.43-ish is also a a technical line in the sand, so maybe we were seeing some support. Then comes Friday, and we sold off even more. And you could explain that one however you want, David. It could be momentum. It could be anxiety heading into this week's auction cycle, which is condensed because we have a two-year and five-year auction this morning. No fanfare there. And then a seven-year auction tomorrow. Normally, that three-auction cycle would take place over Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So when it happens earlier in the week, it can sort of cause buyers to shy away at the end of the previous week and maybe a little bit more aggressively than they otherwise would ahead of an auction cycle. So the big X factor, the one we haven't talked about yet, and I know I've gone a little over my time here, but just to put this to bed, and this is a two cents thing. It's not necessarily the way it is, but when you look at the charts overlaid, it does make a lot of sense. COVID cases dropped a lot faster than a lot of people were expecting last week, talking about week-over-week averages for the entire country. And that has had strong correlation with sort of big-picture momentum moves in the bond market. It would not surprise me at all if that was the driving force behind some of these trades that don't have readily apparent driving forces. We have an unseen hand contributing to bond market momentum, and I think it is a fairly visible hand in the form of COVID cases falling faster than expected, faster than the UK precedent suggested they would. And if that continues, then I think that it could continue to put upward pressure on rates, although traders and analysts are expecting some dip buying to take place sometime pretty soon. Let's hope we get some dip buying because nobody likes quite this much volatility in the bond market. Oh, no, dip buying, I think we'll be seeing that. I think it's all of the above. I think you're suggesting which driving, yeah, the anxiety. So, Jack, you got to jump in on that. Well, the bond market's been trading in that 125 to 145 range. David, there's so many different influences that are moving the bond market that as long as it stays in that range, I'm comfortable with it. Yeah, I'm I'm chuckling only because one of your old employees said, look, don't ask him questions like that. He's retired. He doesn't have to look at the markets anymore. So that cracks me up. You got a lot of friends out there, Jack. So anyway, had to get your commentary on it. Yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of factors moving into it. We're so glad to have you, Matt, here. And I want to get on to Alice's. Are you going to be able to stick around or you got to go back to monitoring the market? No, in fact, I haven't even written up the five-year treasury auction yet. Oh, I got to jump on NBA to do that. that. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate you so much, friend. Good stuff. Yeah, have a good one, Danny. Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Alice Alves here. She is CMB, Vice President of Education at Union Home Mortgage with a legislative update. Alice, so good to have you, friend. How are you doing? Good I weekend? am doing very well. Wow, what a great report. I was listening to every word, and thanks, Jack, for jumping in there. It really is one of those things you just kind of go, okay. Lots of other forces peeling back the onion, and we'll just kind of hold our breath for this week and see what happens. Yeah, the tapering thing always gets everyone's attention. Then you look what's going on in Europe, and I'm wondering if we shouldn't be – the natural thing is to react to things that are going on in Europe, but it's the uncoupling of that. So we shall see how that all works out. But anyway, let's get a legislative update. We're going to be talking more about compliance and legislation and what's going on in the Hot Topics segment. You'll be joining us, but do you have a report for us today? 
I do. So just quickly, the House passed the National Defense Authorization Act, and normally that would have nothing to do with mortgage banking. But this time Mm -hmm. it did get two of the bills we've been watching slid in with it. So normally, for those of you who hate all that amendments that get added and some kind of save the owls is tacked on to some other of our mortgage banking stuff, this is the time when we kind of hitched a ride along with the National Defense Authorization Act because for two really important things. One is the Secure Notarization Act. So we all know that we really want to have a national standard, break down the barriers for commerce between states so that we can really have recognition of remote online notarization. So think of this as the RON Act, right? We Mm -hmm. need this. Consumers are demanding it. So it's not just us needing it for efficiencies, but consumers want this flexibility that a notary, for example, can be recognized in any state and not just the state that they're actually certified in. So that's one piece that was Senate Bill 1625 and House Bill 3962. So that we hope is on its way. Also tacked onto it is the Safe Banking Act of 2021. We talked about this earlier in the year. This came up and it was actually passed the House in 421. So this was an already passed bill put on with this National Defense Authorization Act to see what kind of movement we can get from the Senate. This one is to allow lending for legal cannabis business. Right Mm. now, we could have someone who's legally operating cannabis sales or a store in a particular state, but their income is still considered an unlawful source of income. So that stops lots of things like depository processes at banks. It stops lending. We can't lend to somebody who's running a very legal business, according to that individual state law in some cases. So it's an interesting one. Opens up the doors for a few more borrowers in a growing area of business. And that was also tacked on. So on to the Senate next. And that's my report on actual active legislation. We'll leave the rest up to special guests when we talk with Rick about some of the other pieces pending with TILA. And then just we are watching the government shutdown. We got a little bit of a breather here. Things like mm-hmm. 4506Ts and USDA approvals kind of hang in the balance if we do end up with a shutdown. And we'll keep watching that very closely as well. But for now, we've got a little breather for a week. And we'll keep watching that. But that's my report today, Dave. Back to you. Good, good. Yeah, one other thing I want to showcase that's on the headline. It's actually getting quite a bit of attention today. And it's the headline. And it's one of the things I use you as a gold standard, Alice, for how you've always been a champion for creating right culture. So I'm referring to the headlines in the National Mortgage News today. Loan Depot and Anthony Shea sued by former CEO over underwriting scheme is the way it's titled. Tammy Richards, I know Tammy while she was there at the SEO. I also knew her back in her countrywide days. Tammy's a class act of an individual. And so for this, there's parts of this article that might be characterized as sensationalism, which is talking about the culture there. I think it's really coming that we all look at culture. What are we unintendedly, if we're laughing at things, we're, we're allowing certain jokes to happen. Can there, in fact, be a, quote, unquote, frat house environment developed? And I think there's something, Alice, that you have always been such a professional and the organizations you've worked for, and certainly Union Home is exemplary on having inclusion and, and so aware of this. And I value that, of what's going on there. It's frustrating to see these kind of headlines. Now, there's another aspect about this headline. It has to do with underwriting and the pressure to underwrite loans with less or non-compliant documentation. 
And that is opening up another topic. So there's two aspects of this, but the one I'm commenting on specifically has to do with the culture that exists at companies and what we laugh at. You may laugh at something that's uncomfortable, but I think does that by nature create a complicit is it you make others feel encouraged and that becomes complicit by a lack of dealing with it. Alice, I appreciate you and folks like Kathy Thomas who have spoken up in my life where I have tripped over something, said something inadvertently. Any comments about that, Alice? Your company, Union Home, is exemplary on how they handle that. But thoughts? Well, I think we could talk for an hour about the best ways to make sure that companies are really have eyes open, are very aware of how communication can be taken differently based on someone's background and someone's completely separate from the issue that's going on with that company and the article is just a need across the board to be aware of how conversations are occurring, what are in those conversations, and being aware of all the different sensitivities that can be around a company. Now, some folks get worried about, oh my gosh, does that mean I can't say anything, right? So it's always within that culture, talking to employees and in our case, partners, and just making sure we are sensitive and understanding and fair in our communication. So we use diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. The conversations are embracing all backgrounds, all cultures, and all of the diversity that is within an organization. Well, I think it's also how the subtleties click in. And several people comment on this. I was on another call. They asked my opinion on it. Several people have texted me, Dave, I'd love to have your thoughts on this. I think what happens, listeners, is that when something was said in our midst, and Jack, I'd love to get your thoughts before we move on to Alan Mm -hmm. here on this very topic, just a minute. But I think it's what conversations we do not react to that may take place in the workforce. And a lack of commenting or setting up a boundary or guardrails around certain topics is then viewed as a trend, and it can go in places. Jack, how did you manage it? You were at a bank. You had to deal with a lot of mortgage banking communication. How did you manage that? Well, first of all, it doesn't start with me. It started at the very top of the house. You've got to have your CEO, your president pushing for that culture that makes people feel comfortable in the workplace. But Mm -hmm. it it can't stop there, right? The CEO president has to motivate each of the lines of business leaders or managers to take that message and push it all the way down through the organization. And to what Alice was saying, you don't want to create a sterile work environment, but Mm. clearly there's boundaries and it's up to the CEO, it's up to the line managers to help associates understand where those boundaries are, what's out of bounds and what's inbound. Look, I'm dumbfounded by this. When you think we've turned the corner from a culture standpoint in our industry to see these allegations, and that's what they are at this point in time, in the press, it's so disappointing. I always tried to make sure that the people that I worked with understood what I expected from them. And you can't turn a blind eye as a leader in your organization. When you hear about it, you have to go confront it. You have to call it out, David. And if you don't, then it's going to sit there and percolate. How disappointed I feel is just an understatement at this point. But again, you've got to be careful not to create such a sterile work environment that it takes all the fun out of work. But it's got to be good, clean fun, David. 
But it's got to be appropriate fun. It's finding those boundaries. And I think it starts at the top. I saw anyone who's listening to this, your organization, I just encourage you to just take a pause. This headline caused me to take a pause. And I think ask the question, what culture are we fostering here inadvertently through allowing certain conversations to happen without being corrected or to have a standard restated. And I think it's that North Compass that everyone points to. What is your North Compass? I think this article calls attention to it. And then also the whole other topic is one that we may talk about later on in the Hot Topics segment has to do with we have new loan programs. There's new programs coming in. How should it be when someone is feeling uncomfortable or feeling pressured to prove loans that might not be perceived to be right for the agency? So a lot more on that topic, but thanks, Alice and uh, Jack, for commenting on that. We had a lot of requests come in to ask our thoughts on it. I think the thing that I've seen at companies, it is when there is not a clear North star and something is said that is uncomfortable for some, it needs to be spoken up. Now we can get to such a PC world, politically correct, that we're afraid to just be who we are. And I, I think that's the other thing, Jack, that you were talking about. So anyway, folks, just check out the article. It's a good reminder for all of us to look at what is being tolerated or what is being what is acceptable standards within our own company. So the reason I bring that story up, we don't always do that, but that was one that I had a lot of requests on from our listeners. Let's move over to Alan Pollock. He's here with a tech update. Alan, how is good? Sometimes when I start thinking, okay, what joke and what humor is he going to inject now? So what do you have for us, friend? Oh my goodness. I have so much stuff. By the way, it is so good to hear Jack's voice. I haven't seen you in person, Jack, in a few years, but the wisdom that comes when you command the microphone, so it's good to hear your voice. <laughs> That's good to have him here. Thank you. So I'm going to roll through a whole bunch of fun updates today, David. The first one is, get this, augmented reality. We've talked about this a few times in the past. Well, contact lenses, that they're a little bit thicker. You can pop in. They've been around the corner for years. Well, they're finally set to arrive right now. There's a company called InWith Corp. That's InWith, one word. They debuted at CES 2021 this past January, and they're doing a deal right now with Bausch and Lomb. And at the end of the day, think of a runner being able to run and see information augmented, just like you're watching. Think of like, you remember the old video games when you're flying a jet and you see kind of the grid of where you're going and all the information around the outsides? Think of that. Think of walking through a home and being able to see mortgage options or square footage in each room, right? We're getting there. So they said it's not tomorrow, but they're doing a deal, and they're going to put it in pilot, and it's going to be coming. So we talk about what's coming up next, how will it improve, how will it change our mindset about how we look at technology. Augmented reality is a really big thing, so keep out for that. So, David, here's the big question, right? And this is going to lead into the last part of my topic in two, two or three minutes. Chocolate or vanilla, pancakes or waffles, Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. All right. So you just picked build versus buy. But we'll talk mm. about build versus buy. Again, we talked about the last two weeks. We'll talk about it in a minute. But I'm going to go on the pancakes versus waffles, and I'm going to pick the waffles, even though I'm super low carb for, for over a year now. But we'll get back to that in a second. So blockchain, right? We talk about that all the time. So many cool things going on. Well, I don't know if you've used your phone, the Shazam app, in the past, but it's now part of your control center. iOS 14 had it. iOS 15 now has it. Basically, you just swipe down off the control panel. You hit Shazam, and any music that you hear, within 10 seconds, it finds what that song is. So Shazam, think of Shazam as blockchain. Every time that the music goes out there and it wants to understand what those music notes or the digitalization of those music notes mean, it goes to a record 
of all this information, a blockchain, and it gathers that data and it instantly knows what that song is. It doesn't have to go to separate databases. It doesn't have to think about what it may be. It has a definite ledger, a record of that information. And I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people still ask the question. I still don't understand blockchain and how it's going to affect mortgage lending and real estate. So now that you understand how quickly you can click to understand what that song is on your phone, imagine now trying to close on a property and being able to get through the underwriting and the process so much faster. Imagine being a lender and having a quicker cycle for pre-funding audits, for pre-closing, for pre-underwriting. Think about the information and the cost and the speed that we're going to be able to improve upon. Think about the appraisal process, the title process. So we talk about Mike Cagney over at Figured Technologies and a couple other companies that are doing blockchain. Actually, I think our hot topic today has been working on blockchain. So there is a lot of really, really cool stuff. So I talked about augmented reality. That's going to be fun. But blockchain is finally becoming more and more of a common word and a common theme that we're talking about. So keep your eyes open for blockchain. And with that, David, it's so cool that I've got this part of the update today. So we talked about a week or two ago how Apple had their big event and announced all their new technology. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to highlight a couple of just little quick things. The first is that we're always talking about consumers. Consumers, as we build technology for them, they are no longer at their computers at home at their kitchen table. or They, they may have an old laptop or they, their kids may have it for school. They're on iPads and phones, right? Okay. Everything is done there. So Apple just released, now you can open your car. So they continue to improve Apple Home Automation, and now they've extended Apple Play to do a little more CarPlay, rather, and they've also extended Apple Car Keys. You're going to continue to see that expand. Users are expecting to do more on their phones, and we have to remember that. We have to do the KISS method, right? Keep it simple, stupid. And we also have to keep in mind that our number one users are our loan officers, our operational staff, but they're consumers as well. Right? And we have to remember to keep things simple. But Notes, Apple released in their other update the Notes feature, and now you can do tags and you can do mentions. So now as you continue, whether you use Notes or you use Microsoft Notes, Apple Notes is now finally kind of par with everybody else, much more powerful, quick way to take notes on your phone. If you're a phone user and you're a loan officer, that's a super easy way to get information. You can do an at symbol and tag someone's name. You can do a hashtag pound and tag someone, so really cool there. But the other big thing they do is they now extract text off of images, David. So you can take a picture of a T-shirt, a business card, anything Mm -hmm. in the photo app on your phone. It automatically takes all the data off text, and it's instant. And what's really cool about that is you can copy it to a notepad, you can copy it to an email, you can copy it to a text message. But even better is one of our partners, SnapDocs. I didn't tie this in on purpose. But SnapDocs has been one of our new partners. We've had them on the program. Everyone, Amy Moses, is such a great person out there with the rest of her team. Well, they just announced today post-closing. So they've got all of the e-closing technology that they've been releasing. Well, they just announced today post-closing. So now they're getting into the quality control process, which is I'm part of that, part of Loan Logics and other companies that did that. And many other people do such a great job in that area today. But it makes total sense for SnapDocs to do this. So if you're working with SnapDocs today, you want to talk to them about their new quality control platform. It uses their patented technology, their entire e-closing platform, and it obviously automates all the manual processing. Actually, I worked on quality control with Jack, and that's probably how, Jack, you and I met. So anyways, lots of great stuff over there. Second, David, I want to mention really big this week, Maxwell, 
they got into the secondary marketing side. They became a secondary marketing investor. And so now with their technology, small community banks and lenders now have the point of sale. They have a new kind of investor. It's backed by technology. It's data-driven. They have over 50 years of deep personal expertise backing the technology and the process. So if you want another investor option or you're a small community bank, or a small lender and you don't have the means to get into the secondary market or you don't have the right partners and you work with Maxwell, you want to check this out. It's so cool that they did this. There's a lot of great things going on at Maxwell. Make sure you take a look at that. And then, David, I've got all other kinds of stuff going on, but I just want to get back to the build versus buy as I tease out today's segment. We talked about a number of things last week, quality control. We talked about some of the staff you need the week before. Well, I want to mention one more thing towards the negative of building, right? You as a lender, for the mm-hmm. lenders listening, you don't want to become a tech company. Maybe you want to, right? We talked about Loan Depot, right? They had the Mellow platform. They spent millions right. and millions and millions, and I know other people that did as well. But there's cost. There's risk. You create problems that you didn't know you had. Do you really want to be a tech company, or do you want to be a lender? Do you want to help people achieve the American dream how best? That's what you want to think about. And don't forget, the staff you need to build verse buy, so if you were going to buy, You still need to have quality assurance. You still need to have project managers. You still need to have leadership. You need 10 times that to actually go build. And you need to start dealing with infrastructure and security and and where your server's hosted and how do you have a redundancy plan rather than just managing the different vendors that you have. So I'm not saying don't go build. Next week, I'll talk about why you may want to build because there are good reasons for that. But the last three weeks, we've been talking about why really to build buy versus build. For me, it's waffles. David, for you, it's chocolate. And that's today's update. I can't wait for the hot topic and uh, look forward to it. Build versus buy. Very much of an ongoing topic. And I think it comes down to innovation others doing it and how complicated it is. Boy, I look forward to getting some more discussion on that. David, this is Jack. And, And just a comment to Alan. Last week, Alan, you mentioned quality control inside of the project on the code and the configuration. Mm-hmm. That's meritorious enough to one day make that an entire segment because if you really don't have your eyes on quality control, it guaranteed will extend the life of the project, run your cost up. The benefit of having a very seasoned quality control team is so important And if you're a mortgage company trying to build, one of the areas that you're going to be challenged as you have not built out and refined your quality control team, even large institutions and banks have trouble in the quality control area. And last week, I thought you hit it. And if you don't do that well, you will have extension of project timelines and you will overrun your budget. Yeah, absolutely. Jack, the biggest thing is taking your workforce. You don't have to fire them unless you've hired too many. The goal is to put them into an exception-based process and to improve upon how you get the data and get to the point where the audit occurs. But having the technology is just such an improvement. And that is a topic we need to get into in a bigger way on another podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it so much. Folks, that wraps up the regular podcast. We're now going to get into the hot topic segment. Very excited about that. Again, for those of you listening on a downloaded basis, we separate this into two podcasts. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Finastra, CMLA, Lenders One, Accelerate Mobility, Mortgage Market Intelligence, Modex, the MBA, Knowledge Coop. 
Snapbox and the Mortgage Collaborative. We're going to have Finastra. Karen Jenkins will be here as our special guest next week on, with Finastra. You'll be excited about that conversation. We talked about some of the things and initiatives that Finastra has underway, as well as their focus as a leader in the world of technology fintech. So be sure to come back here next week. Folks, thank you so much for being here, listening. Jack, thank you so much for joining in again. Need to make this a habit. Appreciate your commentary. And listeners, thank you for taking time to listen. Have a great rest of your week and look forward to having you back here next week. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week and thanks for listening.